0: Hello,
1: and welcome to Musicians Weekend, the podcast in which we explore the weird and wonderful lives of those who keep music making alive. In this episode, we'll be chatting about recent events in our own lives and in the classical music world, as well as an interview with a special guest. We're three London based freelancers. I'm Imogen, and I'm a trumpet player. I'm Davina,
0: and I play the cello.
1: And I'm Olivia, and I play the harp. It's been brilliant hearing from so many of our listeners and getting feedback on what people are enjoying about our podcast so far many people have mentioned how refreshing it is for us to be open or for people to be open about the ups and downs of freelance life and we're hoping that by us being open about our own experiences we will help other people realise that we're all in the same boat.
2: So what have you been up to
0: since the last episode Davina? Well I have been a bit of a hermit recently as I have been practising for a couple auditions coming up and that tends to take over your life when it's happening but as well as that, it's been a busy time as well with lots of concerts and gigs and it's exam time with my students that I teach. That's always uh, yeah. fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know, I know that feeling. You know, making sure your kids know all their scales and are up to date with their oral tests <laughs> and all those things that you tend to forget about until the end of the year. But I think, while it's quite tempting to turn down work while you're preparing for something big, like an audition, in order to clear your schedule for practice, it can actually make you more productive to be busy as you're forced to get your practice done within specific timeframes. I don't know how you feel about this Imogen, because you've got your concerto coming up. Mm. But knowing me, if I had a whole day free, I'd probably just procrastinate, my room would get really tidy, and I'd get all my chores done, but I wouldn't do any practice at all. That's
1: so true. If you have a to-do list, practice can start at the top of the list but I will do everything else first and then it'll be 4 or 5pm and I'll be like how on earth have I not started my practice? Yeah, Yeah, it's really hard.
0: I think you need to limit your time and on days where I've had back-to-back engagements, I've really had to plan my practice time and be like, okay, I've got a spare 45 minutes, I'm going to get this exit up to speed and setting really small, achievable goals that can be done in a short amount of time. You really value your time when you don't have much of it.
1: Olivia, don't you use a stopwatch? Yeah, I've started doing this recently.
2: I've got this really,
0: really loud, annoying
2: stopwatch that you can buy off Amazon for about £3 and I'm experimenting with 20 minute practice slots and then as soon as it gets to the end of that 20 minutes I switch piece and I find it really helpful to write down what I played afterwards Mm. just so I've got some kind of sense of achievement afterwards to look back and say oh
0: great I managed to do that, that and that today Do you keep a log of everything that you practice? Yes, That's really useful. I've tended to keep a log of lessons that i've had i know we mentioned lessons in the last episode but sometimes i'll write something down about a specific excerpt from a lesson i had five years ago and then i look back on that and i think oh that's right i need to remember to spin my sound or think about vibrato. So while I'm going a little bit cray with my practice at the moment, the work I have been doing in between has been quite a nice distraction. It's been a chance to catch up with friends. I ran into Imogen last week at a concert and I'm doing another concert with Olivia this weekend. It's quite nice when you've been freelancing for a little while and you start to see familiar faces. It feels a bit less daunting, I think, when you see nice people in the orchestra definitely so i've got a nice opera run coming up and a movie music concert which i'm looking forward to after the What's audition the film? madness it? it's a whole lot of john williams music so we're doing like harry potter star wars jurassic park my favorite <laughs> i walked down the aisle to jurassic park oh did you actually <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> i did my own string quartet arrangement for it oh and it's well done. yeah thank you thank you and I played at the Moet and Shandon Summer House. Moet. Moet.
2: <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm fine. Um, i Olivia.
0: And... <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I'm a harpist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we drink champagne, like
0: water. <laughs> so it had a champagne vending machine, which is pretty <gasps> amazing. How much did you
1: okay. would you have to put in to get a bottle? I don't
0: know. You had to buy a special token, which I didn't get. But I was quite lucky, actually, because uh, it was a four-day event. I played for two of the days and on the last day, they kind of saw us milling around the quartet and they said, oh, oh, do you guys want some champagne? (laughs) we were like, (laughs) well, if it's not too much trouble. So they actually brought us a bottle of rosé before we went on. Nice. Um, dangerous um, I didn't have that much um, and so we went but of course everyone who's listening to you um, play they're all just mildly pissed and so they just loved it and they again we were playing pop covers so they were singing along and having a great time Brilliant. and then they brought us a bottle when we finished and and we polished that off and I had three sliders as well <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh okay. you kind of slides of canopies, right? Yeah, like a little mini burger. Great. I had wow. three of them because two of the members' of the quartet are vegetarian, and one person <laughs> he, he's trying to cut down on his food intake. So, so I you just had to have. Them I did the cut right thing and yeah. ate all the food.
1: That's so nice. Sometimes, like, do you find that? The more lavish the gig, the stingier they are with freebies. <laughs> like sometimes, Absolutely. But anyway, maybe yeah. you find that, Olivia, because you tend to do lots of nice. Oh uh, yeah, events. but I can
2: never have the free glass of anything at the end because I have to drive home. <laughs> oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you take taxis. That's true, but yeah. I really don't. I don't enjoy the perks of my stupid oh. instrument enough. You're
0: clearly more <laughs> professional than I am. <laughs> so I think sometimes it's good to take a step back and appreciate the variety of work we get to do and the people we do it with. It also pays for my holidays and my cat's lavish lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> Romeo, like, our podcat. Yeah. Okay. So how about you, Imogen? What have you been up to this fortnight?
1: I've had a bit of a different week to what I was expecting. Um, this week, really, in my diary I had lots of practice time for this concerto, teaching and going to watch a couple of concerts. I went to the concert on Monday night at the Barbican, which is the one that featured Roddy Williams's mm-hmm. new commission, um, which we mentioned last episode. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was, I hadn't realised quite the scale of the piece that he'd written. It was over an hour long. The whole second half of the concert was his piece. And it was a huge feat. It had the London Concert Choir, a children's choir, string orchestra, the central band of the Royal Air Force, which is basically like an orchestra but without strings and with saxophones. Um, and it was just a completely
0: packed stage. surprising because the way Roddy spoke about it he was like I'm just writing this piece yeah but I didn't realize I I had
1: no idea of what (laughs) what
0: uh, the scale of it
1: but basically I was on my way home from that concert and it was quite a long concert and I was feeling a bit like oh gosh I'm so tired I just wish I was in bed I really don't want to be awake right now and it was half 11 at night and I was on a bus and I got a phone call from the diary service which for anyone who doesn't know is like an agency I guess that you kind of pay for and some fixers for orchestras like to book you through that agency you don't have to have one but it can be helpful and um, so I got a call from them saying that an orchestra was asking if I could do a 10 a.m rehearsal the next morning in Birmingham <laughs> and they had some other calls out at the time and so they were like we need an answer right now and I just didn't know what to think I was like uh uh okay yes and they said okay wait so you're confirmed for that work <laughs> I was like okay and I had no idea what the piece was I didn't know what part I was playing I knew absolutely nothing all that I had to just Somehow get a train to Birmingham for the next morning for 10 a.m. So I got home, booked this train, had about five and a half hours sleep and then had these two days actually um, I had to come home in between um, because I had another rehearsal But then I had to go back to Birmingham the next day and we did a concert. It was live on Radio 3 And it was just really weird actually at the end of the concert I was just sitting there thinking, you know, 48 hours ago I had no idea that I would be doing this concert
2: it's amazing these little bits of luck, like how you awake at eleven thirty because yeah. you've been to the concert. And I've sometimes had those moments and it's normally when I'm feeling really down about stuff and then I'll suddenly get a text or a call and then suddenly everything's on the up and oh yeah, everything's great and it's all frantic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What goes down must come up again, I guess. I guess so. And there's nothing like those three words other calls out. It yes. really spring you into action.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought, whatever it is. I mean, obviously, I really love the teaching that I do, but my playing will always take priority. So I just kind of thought, I've got to move them. It's hard, actually, because sometimes my boyfriend, who's also a musician, sometimes if he gets an exciting piece of work in or something that I think is exciting, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. That's really great. And he doesn't seem that exciting. And I'm like, are you are you not really excited about that? And he says, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep some kind of equilibrium, you know, so not getting too excited when good work comes in. And not getting too down when it doesn't. Nah. And it's really hard to yeah. keep that balance. But it's a good mindset to have. Otherwise, you just live in this hugely up and down Peaks and troughs. Mm. I think
2: I'm a bit addicted to it. I think that's what I like about... <laughs> Damien's be smiling because she thinks it's probably just indicative of my personality. And it probably is. That's what I like about the freelance life. That you can get a call and be on top of the world and the next day feel absolutely crap. Yeah, that's true. And if we had a, a normal office job, we'd get that equilibrium. But that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> it would wear off, that's
1: true.
2: Yeah,
0: Things would never change if it was all the same.
1: Yeah, exactly. but yeah this concert was really fun and basically it was such short notice that I didn't have any time to get stressed or overthink it so yeah. I really enjoyed it just went and did my job and felt like yeah that was really fun but I also had a kind of opposite experience last week uh, where I was booked for another orchestral concert a few weeks ago so I had loads of time to practice for it also time to get really nervous about it so yeah. on the day of the concert the rehearsal all went fine I got to the concert and I was playing in the first piece which is an overture And it was going really well, but then suddenly out of nowhere, kind of towards the end of the piece, I had this big entry and I kind of looked up and looked at the conductor as I breathed in and played and just completely split this big note. And it's, you know, fortissimo, super loud. There's absolutely no hiding on the trumpet, which is, Kind of what I love about it, but also, there's just nothing you can do. And it, and I kind of still got the note, but it just started like, like that. Anyway, <laughs> really like it took me by surprise, massively. And I was like, oh my gosh. But I still had a couple of other entries to go after it. So I was like, right, can't let it affect those. I'll just carry on. Anyway, th- then I was happy with how I played after that. But then I came off stage and I was absolutely gutted. And yeah. I was trying to tell myself it was honestly one note.
0: Mm
1: but I was just, somehow, I let
0: myself get so, so low. I think the bad things always stay with you more than the good things. Yeah, it just yeah. went
1: so madly out of control, and I was, I basically wasn't in the next piece, so I had all this time waiting around, and I went for a walk outside, and I was close to tears, and I was thinking, who can I call? Like, I want to call, it sounds so lame, but you know, I want to call my mum, just because I want to tell someone, like this went so badly, I don't know what to do, and I, I kind of thought, oh, I can't call her, because all she'll say is, I'm sure it wasn't as bad as you think and you've just gotta go back and do the next piece. But it just got worse and I was like looking at my car in the car park thinking, what if I (laughs) (laughs) What if I just (laughs) mean a
0: runner? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it just got so and then I was thinking, what other job could I do? Because I don't I'm not kidding. (laughs) And I I, I am serious, this was one note. And honestly, if that if that note had been right, I would have thought the piece was an absolute triumph. I would have thought it played really well. Yeah, it it really, really got me down. I don't know if anyone's read the book The Chimp Paradox by Dr. Steve Peters, but it's basically about the irrational side of your brain taking over the rational side. Mm. That's really what happened.
2: I had a similar concert experience, actually, since our last recording. There were some older, very respected harpists in the audience, and it was an ensemble concert, and I got completely psyched out. And I don't think I listened to a single note. I just spent the entire time chatting to myself, saying oh my gosh, this is hell. Why am I doing this? I'm awful. <laughs> so, yeah. so
1: I know the feeling. I think I just felt really frustrated at how bad I let myself get. Yeah. i have had yeah. like, it's like, same. like how, spiral downwards and it it's just felt so frustrating awful. how you have
2: so little control sometimes over your brain and how you think.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, then I kind of just was like, right, I haven't got a choice, I've got to carry on. So I literally just pulled myself together, I went back in, I put my hair up into a ponytail, because for some reason that makes me just feel like I am in business, and it kind of just makes me (laughs) feel like, right, this is a serious thing, I don't know, that's me. Um, And I, I got my trumpet out of the case, like it was the first time for that evening that I got it out, and was like, start again, completely fresh slate, I honestly looked in the mirror and made myself smile just to kind of try and get some endorphins going. You know, that does work, doesn't it? Try and trick your brain into being like, I'm happy, this is good. And I went back on stage for the second half and actually it went really well and I was really happy with it. And by the end of the concert, I'd basically forgotten this whole thing that happened. I sort of deliberately tried to make myself remember it because for next time I feel like that, I kind of want to know that I can pull myself out of that really negative feeling and actually carry on doing my job really well. But it was just a really horrible thing to experience and just over something so trivial and trying to remember all these things we've heard from our previous interviewees about, you know, it's not life or death and you need to learn to forgive yourself for mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. It's just really hard at the moment to remember that.
0: And being calm when you do do mistakes.
2: One harpist once said to me, you've got to imagine you're climbing up a rope when you're playing and any mistake you make is behind you. You don't need that
1: anymore. You, mm. just,
2: you just need to You chop whatever. the bottom of the rope You chop off. the bottom of the yeah, rope yeah. off. Exactly. And you just keep going. Keep climbing yeah. up. Yeah. You can't
1: let back. How have your last couple of weeks been, Olivia?
2: Well, apart from the... Concert I mentioned before. (laughs) I haven't been able to get to watch many concerts since our last episode. Somebody messaged in to ask how I managed to go to so many things. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Well, I teach three evenings a week and I fit those in between concert commitments. But if I have a free evening, then I do try and go to something. And also lunchtime concerts are, are very handy for us musicians because we have unusual working hours. That's They're how am often, often free as well, I mean,
1: lunchtime concerts.
3: Yeah, that was <laughs> <that laughs> <is> true, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not just being a cheapskate. No. <laughs> That's really good of you though, because my default setting is to stay home and just hang out with my cat sometimes. <laughs> so I really do need that kick. To get me out of the house sometimes. The podcast has been a good case. Yeah, that's true. I think I need to take a leaf out of your book and leave <laughs> So the we house have things sometimes. to talk about. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have been listening to some things, though, while I've been doing lots of driving with the harp. I listened to Phil Venable's debut CD, Below the Belt. Phil is the composer behind the critically acclaimed 4.48 Psychosis that was produced by the Royal Opera House this year and uh, a couple of years ago when it first came out and um, his music is very visceral, violent, and he deals with um, themes of sexuality and politics and I'd highly recommend that disc. Sounds like a very intense
1: car journey. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yes, it was and I frequently got shocked because I had the volume up too high in the quiet bits (laughs) and then suddenly I'd hear the sound of a cricket bat slamming um, a punch bag that's one of the pieces, (laughs) one of the sound effects (laughs) created on that track but I really recommend that disc and I also listened to Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood talking on the Adam Buxton podcast and it got me listening again to his soundtrack for Phantom Thread and that was the Daniel Day-Lewis movie that came out last year. I saw that film with my boyfriend and after the first five minutes I had no idea who wrote the music or who was playing on it and I let over and said, oh my god the music's amazing. So I'd really recommend listening to it. It was recorded by the London Contemporary Orchestra and it's super romantic music. Johnny Greenwood was saying that he'd conceived the score originally for small ensemble to be played live in the cinema, but um, the producer wanted more and more strings added, so it got a little bit bigger. Um, it's very close contact, Mike effects for the strings and muted piano and it's lovely so I'd recommend that soundtrack. And also since our last podcast I met up with a musician I met via Instagram which is I thought was quite a fun modern interaction and I thought I'd share that with you. I run a project called 15 second harp where I play 15 second compositions and post them on Instagram and a flautist called Daniela Mars uh, found the project early on. She's been following me for a bit, and she messaged to say, could we play some bass flute and harp 15 seconds together? So <gasps> bass we, flute? Yeah, so she came over from Paris. Wow. And, yeah, and um, we had a really nice time together. So I'm going to be
0: posting those. So Ooh, feel free to check those. check those out. So this fortnight in classical music news, the classic Brits were on wednesday the 13th of june we thought we could mention a few of the big winners the best male artist was none other than shaku kane mason hot off his performance at harry and megan's wedding i don't think we can go one episode without mentioning him yeah not possible but i think with good reason we like him in this podcast (laughs) he also won the critics choice award the best female artist went to renee fleming Dame Vera Lynn won the Lifetime Achievement Award and Special Recognition went to Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. I'm just
2: laughing because this same list could have been reeled out in like 2000. It's not exactly, it's not very powerful. Apart from Shakey. Apart from Shakey and Jess Gillum, all the others could have won this 10 years ago. Uh, Yeah, that's so true. Michael Ball. At least 20 years ago. Yeah, Michael
0: Ball's been around for a long time, isn't it? Dame
2: Vera, Andrew Lloyd Webber
0: that's true i mean i did hear michael ball talking on radio 2 the other day before the awards he was really worried he wasn't going to win best group or whatever i think it was an audience vote Hmm. but he was interviewing mylene class and she told him to chill out (laughs) Go, go mylene she was like you've got to trust that the fans will do the right thing and vote and they did. So congratulations to all the Michael Ball. there. There were a number of classical musicians who received Queen's Birthday honours recently. These include Dame Kiry Tekanwa. I'm saying this with a great sense of New Zealand pride. She was made a companion of honour, which is highly prestigious. It's restricted to only sixty five people at a time. Sixty five living people, is that right? I imagine so, yeah. So yeah. maybe a few die then you create (laughs) a vacancy (laughs) but uh, i mean that includes evelyn glennie and sir mark alder so very very prestigious award other recipients composer thomas I've got a CBE, composer Debbie Wiseman, OBE, Gillian Moore. She is the director of the Southbank Centre. She was awarded a CBE, and the Royal Philharmonic Society's Rosie Johnson was awarded an MBE.
1: I read a newspaper article this week called Hell is an Audience, (laughs) obviously about how noisy and distracting audiences can be at concerts and theatre shows. I definitely feel this myself a lot, because I think I'm... Quite intolerant of these things. Um, I thought something I would like to change about myself, but I just latch onto someone if someone is sniffing loudly or yeah. flicking the pages of their program or something. Mm. I just find it so hard to ignore it. Unwrapping
0: sweets, totally, really crinkly wrapping.
1: And this this woman who wrote the who wrote the article just said, one reason I go to concerts is to avoid distraction. You know, you're free from emails, social media updates, and there's no need for small talk or annoying interruptions. Peace. Surely that's not too much to ask.
0: What do you think, though, about concerts like, say, the Multi Story Orchestra, that are basically outdoors in the car park in Peckham, and the overground train goes past, and so you'll be in the middle of like Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, and then you hear the train go, ah, ah, right, right <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> I like that.
1: I like I like
2: train train atmosphere,
1: Yeah. I think I, what I find hard is like you know in say the Albert Hall or Festival Hall and there's a symphony and then at the end of the first movement it's like half the audience has developed bronchitis during the piece and <laughs> everyone just has to like
0: cough their guts oh, out. And it's the worst thing just... though when you've, when you've got a cough welling up. and you're
1: like, I know Where can I cough? but it feels like people who didn't need to make any noise suddenly feel they have to really go for it and it yeah I don't know it's, it's just kind of can ruin the atmosphere a little bit.
0: I think I'm quite
1: good at giving
2: the evil eye if, somebody, if, it's, if somebody's behind me doing it, some talkers, if there are people muttering, I give them at least three looks and I'll turn my whole body around just to yeah. make sure. Yeah. And yeah. then um, if they're really annoying me, next stage is, with a smile, say, yeah. Very
0: good, very technical. I mean,
1: I've silently offered tissues to people in concerts
2: Great. when
0: they yeah. are sniffing. Great
1: one. Or sometimes I have kind of like reached over to gesture and ask them to stop conducting with their hands or people mm. just do people just <laughs> do things which are just they don't realize they're doing it perhaps. So, you don't want to be too abrupt and say like can you stop that you know because they might not even yeah. realize they're doing it I think if you can do it in a nice way and kind of gently and, and smiling very British if you can say <laughs> please, please could you stop then I think, you think it's okay but I really I really struggle to not be distracted
2: I know and I do feel bad because obviously I don't want to annoy people if it might be like their first classical music experience you know, it is yeah. important to, to be kind of generous with with other people around you just in case you're not used to it I think
0: really just be considerate you know don't do anything super annoying and if you'd feel more comfortable waving your arms around at home then maybe just keep it for home
2: now for our last piece of classical music news scientists at the institute marquez in barcelona studied the mouth and tongue movements of over 300 unborn babies aged between 18 and 38 weeks and played them variety of different music. 84% of babies who were played classical music caused the greatest level of reaction compared to only 79% of traditional music and 59% of pop music. I wanted to read this one out because I'm one of three children and I'm the only one who's into classical music. And, I only found out a couple of years ago that my mum, because I was the eldest, she had more time on her hands, played classical music to her belly when she was pregnant, (laughs) and had (laughs) classical music playing on her Walkman or some kind of music thing, during the birth, because that was a trendy thing to do, and failed to ever tell me this until like two years ago. I said, surely mum, this is why I'm the only one who's into classical music. And she was like, nah, nah, I don't think so. Oh. But I have to say, I don't think it's a coincidence. That's I think it could probably
0: be why I'm the only
2: musical one. So yeah. it
0: stimulates the babies the most, then. There's that yeah. kind of music for some well, reason. We'll have to see what happens with um, Amy Harmon's baby. Or oh, all yeah. that bassoon playing. <laughs> but the baby's not a fan, apparently. And that's just, that's kicks, true. Will she continue kicking? You know, <laughs> kicking and screaming afterwards. So, onto our special guest interview. Our special guest this week is Aaron Holloway Nahum, a man of many talents: composer, conductor, recording engineer, teacher, and a father to a 1-year-old son. He's one of the founding members of the Riot Ensemble, which specializes in contemporary music and have given performances and premieres of many new compositions both in the UK and abroad. I'm especially thankful to Aaron for making time to sit down and chat with me. I managed to catch him the day after he got home from Budapest, where he was frantically trying to dry his laundry in time for his trip to the States the very next day. So, have a listen. Do you want to start by talking about what you were doing in Budapest last week?
3: Sure, yeah. So, I am currently on a mentorship program with a foundation uh, named the Peter Utfosch Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, after the composer and conductor, Peter Utfosch. And he uh, runs a series of masterclasses throughout the year for conductors and composers. I'm on the scheme as a composer, mm-hmm. uh, which means that I get to write uh, four or maybe five new pieces, uh, which are receive various premieres, and we go and we have masterclasses and we get to uh, observe rehearsals. He's so generous, you know, he sits with you and says, here, this is what mattered to Stockhausen in this bar, and then tells you some story. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, this is just incredible. It's almost so, as
0: good as talking to Stockhausen himself. Yeah,
3: in many ways, one of the best things I've ever done. One of the things that I'm most grateful and proud to, to be doing. So...
0: Amazing. What an honor. Um, So what made you think in your musical past that contemporary music is your thing? What made you want to be involved in its creation and curation? And with that in mind, how did you start up the Riot Ensemble?
3: So I started my musical life as a singer actually Mm -hmm. and it's actually quite rare for composers to start as singers not unheard of but but reasonably rare because you don't get exposure to the orchestral repertoire to yeah. uh, a lot of chamber music you grew up singing in choirs and musical theater i did a lot yeah. actually and i was actually wanting to arrange pop songs for my acapella group um, i did sing in an acapella group in, in university called freshman 15. but my choral teacher at that moment must have had some plan because he gave me I, I asked I said I want to do some arrangements for the acapella group how can I get started and he gave me Walter Piston's orchestration book which has nothing to do really with arranging for voices but which completely turned my life upside down up to that point I had thought I'm going to be a singer I want to sing in musicals or be in an op or be an opera singer and really within I remember it being like days that I thought to myself Ah, I'm a composer. Oh,
0: wow. That's so what was I it was surely meant to be moment.
3: It was. I mean, as soon as I discovered it, I started writing music and uh, applied to a summer program at Northwestern University where I ended up going to do my undergraduate. Um, and from that moment on, never considered anything else. I-, I loved conducting from the beginning as well. I actually created a second degree when I was at Northwestern because there wasn't an undergraduate conducting degree. So I made one and... And did that Um, but composition just took hold of me immediately as soon as I found it yeah what I loved about it so many things Mm -hmm. I I love creating I love playing with sound um, I love the community uh, of being a musician I have to admit I like being in charge I like telling people what to do. I think people who know me would say that's fair. (laughs) I just fell in love with imagining sounds and then working with other people, Mm -hmm. finding a way to write those down and then having other people create it. I think I also became very intoxicated at Northwestern because I I wasn't uh, even aware of this before, but with the quality that people brought to music, like this opening of possibility. That's how I got kind of started, but it just all happened at once, really. And then in terms of curation and starting the ensemble.
0: Well, you made your way to the UK for a start, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. Because it seems like a big step, but I never really questioned it. As I started to get to know music, as I started to actually, as I just spent months in the library listening, I realized that most of the composers I really loved the most had studied in multiple countries. They didn't have like a single cultural outlook to their music. That that was just for me. That was just what grabbed me, and what interested me, and I didn't, I still don't speak French, or German, or Romanian, as my wife will tell you. So England made a lot of sense, and the Royal Academy made a huge amount of sense, and I never really considered anything else. And so I came, I thought at the end of that I would go back to the United States, Uh, but instead I spent a year as the Student Union President at the Royal Academy of Music, And then accidentally met my wife Uh, and at that point uh, had also been introduced uh, to Julian Anderson and got into a doctorate program at Guildhall with him. I was the first composer to take a doctorate at Guildhall and it was there that I uh, I mean, I was a part of founding the Riot Ensemble. We got a group of us together, a core group, which included uh, Dia, my wife, and Kate Walter, who's Uh a flute player and is still the flute player of Riot Ensemble, and Adam Swain, who's a pianist that I actually met at Northwestern. We got together. We thought this would be really fun. And we were just, we really didn't know any better. I mean, we just would put on these concerts and... Of course, it was a free concert, you know, no one was paid anything, so people were dropping out. On the, You know, if someone would call on the day and say, sorry, I got this gig coming in, I, here's someone else who could come sight-read for you. Okay, fine, let's try it. But we ended up uh, doing one concert each year. And then in 2012, we decided, okay, well, let's, let's try this. Let's see if we could do this a little bit more substantially. So we decided to put on one concert. I was a member of the LSO Sound Hub scheme, which mm-hmm. is an amazing uh, supportive scheme for young emerging composers. They really supported us and helped us a lot in putting that first concert on. On the back of that concert, we were able to raise enough money to do the first season, and then on the back of the first season, able to raise <laughs> to do the second season, and so, forth, so on and so forth. In some ways, I mean, it It sounds a little fortuitous. I mean, it was a lot of hard work, but a lot of it was just pushing on the doors that were in front of us, especially when you're at university and in those first few years, just anything that's in front of you, going for it. You know, why not? Yeah. Why why not? What What do you got to lose? (laughs) Exactly. There was nothing, I mean, there was literally nothing to lose, and that's often the case. Now, whether you can do it well or not, or how you get started and push along and all those things, I mean, we worked incredibly hard, but we also got very, very lucky maybe we also just had the right people at the right time yeah um, and this was really very special and it is something very special i mean one thing about Riot ensemble is it's not actually me so i don't i don't select all of the repertoire i don't plan out a season yeah
0: it's collaborative isn't it you have your artistic board and absolutely
3: your... yeah have input we create diverse programs by empowering diverse artists. There you go. You can now you know what we put in our funding applications. That's
0: nice. That's um, a good phrase. Yeah.
3: But it's also true. I think it's really important yeah. actually. We really believe in eclecticism and diversity being fundamental uh, not just you know the word values, but they're like precious values about new music. Yeah. There's so so much music being made by such a wide variety of people. Uh, we it would be such a shame if the ensemble was Aaron Holloway Nahum's ideas about new music. Oh my God, it'd be so boring. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean you've got to make sure that you don't run out of things to do. Right? Exactly, exactly, and and you
3: know, and it's just like one one stream of thought. But the thing that really makes me so excited every day when I wake up is 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 actually the musician. It's a community, and to get to be an active part of the community. So to be able to make music and perform and to discuss and to learn all together, it's for me it's just wonderful. We were talking about this in Budapest actually. Musicians are fascinating people. They bring an incredible expertise. I mean, an expertise that most people never achieve in any field. I I really think that it's not understood. One of the last concerts you did with us, we played a piece by Clara Nata, current Siemens Prize holder. Yeah, Yeah, I mean. You know, actually, if you came and sat in that concert, you might think, why did why she make a cello do that? Anyone could make that sound on a cello. But the truth is, almost nobody can yeah. make those sounds on the cello in the, with that kind of rhythmic virtuosity and also be making chamber music. It's so hard. It, it is yeah. so hard.
0: It was very specific. I remember the sounds that she wanted. And when she turned up at the rehearsal, mm. I think we had a rehearsal with just the three of us performers yeah. and her, and she knew exactly what she wanted, how everything was supposed to be played, and it was then I thought, now I know why you're side with Peter's.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Clara's an absolutely amazing composer. Her imagination is incredible. Of course, there's some specialist aspects about it, but you could give this score to really good players and they would not come close to playing it. It's so precise, so difficult, Uh, that's not the point of the music it's not the point of clara's music that it's hard but i think just the again that that feeling at the beginning of how is this possible how you know sometimes i really sometimes when i'm conducting which can be dangerous i you know we just did the double concerto which is a massive piece by elliot carter extremely difficult piece the the ensembles are playing in different speeds and you know seven against five and and there were many moments in rehearsal where I'd be con- I'd be rehearsing something and they'd really I mean they'd play they would really play it and I would just think how have they done that how <laughs> how is this how does this happen it's amazing you know in a in a world where we can't seem to see eye to eye on anything speak straight about anything communicate clearly about anything you can get a group of however many musicians together and they can Feel time move in exactly the same way. Mm. They can contribute a voice to something, this singular vision, and it can be listened to in silence by. I mean, that concert. Well, you know, two hundred or more people there, and it was wonderful. I mean, this was for me. This was, you know,
0: career highlight. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Certainly till now. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll top it.
0: That's a. It's a good message for life, isn't it? Mm. You know, collaboration, working together, Mm. and pushing what is possible. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask you. I mean, we've mentioned that contemporary music is just so diverse mm. and it encompasses so many different techniques, sounds, possibilities. What do you say to people who are so quick to dismiss an entire genre? What suggestions can you give to new listeners and explorers?
3: It, it's a such an interesting situation because there's nothing... I love more than discovering new ideas. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I love more than hearing a sound I've not heard before. Uh, you know, I love to be in a concert hall and hear a sound and think, whoa, how whoa, 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 who's doing that? I love music that surprises me, things that, that suggest that there are ideas and thoughts and possibilities that I haven't imagined yet. And so it's, it's very far from my own experience that people don't that you would that you would be like, no, I just I just want to hear Schubert. I love Schubert. Yeah. I adore Schubert. I listen to Schubert every week. But I wouldn't only ever want to hear Schubert. Mm. I think the first thing to say is it's not like it doesn't have to be your whole diet. Sure. You know You yeah. don't have to like you don't have to if you like pizza, keep eating pizza. You don't have to just stop doing that altogether and uh, you know...
0: Only eat kale. Only eat kale. And <laughs>
3: let's let's be very... New music is not kale. I, you know, I was just thinking to myself, like, for me, new music is carrot cake, sure, uh, which yeah. would be even worse. You know, it would be even worse if all you ate was carrot cake. Yeah. And you just get super fat and bloated and you wouldn't be able to walk down the street or do anything you wanted. But still, a piece of carrot cake is really nice and yeah. sweet and particular and wonderful. Riot Ensemble has just released an album. That's right. It's right yeah. here, called Chest of Toys. The title comes from a program that was on the BBC after a Huddersfield Festival of Contemporary Music and a listener was anonymously quoted as saying one of the issues that i have with contemporary music is that so much of it just sounds like a children's chest of toys coming down the stairs yeah. what you need to know about the people who make this music is that we loved that idea like we thought that is that's what would that sound like that would be an amazing sound let's do it and then we threw a chest of toys yeah. Down a stairwell in one of our concerts. I we actually think, did it. I remember yeah. that
0: actually. Yeah, I remember Adam was getting ready to do his virtuosic throwing the chest I of mean, toys down the stairs. <laughs> I
3: still maintain that he threw it too far, but he was really worried it wasn't going to come all the way down the stairs. And so he, I mean, it, he threw it in the air about halfway, but it, it made a, quite a great cacophony. The thing is, you know, I have a son now, a one-year-old son. I don't think there is any piece of music that he would enjoy as much as me throwing a chest of toys down some <laughs> stairs. And it's true. I mean, a lot of musicians teach five-year-olds, six-year-olds. You know what? They, they like to make sound. Yeah. They like to hit things, and and it's you spend a long time as a musician being taught there's a right way to make sound. This, this is the right sound for a cello to make. Yeah. This is the correct sound for a violin to make. This is, you know, a sound an oboe makes, or you know. <laughs> whether you're a musician or just a casual listener, I would just encourage you to think about why does music have to be X? Why does music have to be Y? It can be so many things. One of the experiences I love to have at a new music concert is the thought, I didn't realize music could do that. It's especially important today because, well, at least after the election in the United States, there was so many think pieces about, uh, we, we just live in our bubbles and we don't contact people who don't think like us and we don't do a good job of communicating. And then, ah, a concert of all Brahms, wonderful. A concert, you know, of only X, a concert of only Y, even if it's something great. yeah. It's just fascinating how much we, we adhere to that in our artistic consumption.
0: Yeah, we box ourselves in, I yeah. suppose. Well, we create a wall. Yeah. <laughs> we create walls, and then we don't think about what's past those parameters.
3: Yeah. We walk into a room, and we think, wow, this is a nice room, and we never think to walk out of it. Mm. You know, when you walk into a room, what room do you walk into? The first room in the house. The easiest room. Yeah. And you're there, and you don't even think, what, what else is here? you just there and maybe there's a lot of nice things it could be a very beautiful wonderful room that you're in but it's not the only one i can tell you this much if whatever your background is if you come to a riot ensemble concert you're not going to have a bad time because we have so much fun i mean we throw chests of toys downstairs and we (laughs) you know we drink wine and we have a discussion around the music and we play some music and then we hang out and talk and it's it's great it's wonderful
0: Yeah, why not open your mind? Yeah. In our podcast, Mm -hmm. we have a segment where we talk about weird gigs.
3: Weird gigs, okay. And
0: are there any concerts that really stick out in your memory? I'm just thinking, is there anything that really phases you anymore? I suppose because you get so used to expecting the unexpected
3: in what you do. There are definitely things that surprise me. I've said I work as a recording engineer, and in some ways it's been, through that, a rediscovery of old music that I find so surprising. I first started listening to Schubert again about eighteen months ago when I was editing a piano album, and I was editing a piece I hadn't even looked at who the composer was, and, and I got halfway through it, and I thought, this is an amazing. What is this? Oh, it's of course, of course it is. Um, and and then I just dove back in. In terms of like a really you know strange gig, I will never forget. With Riot Ensemble, actually. My brother-in-law, so my wife's sister's husband, his parents were in town from New Zealand. Oh. And and, and it just happened to coincide with a Riot Ensemble concert. We were performing text scores of Pauline Oliveros. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so they came into this bar in Peckham, and it was a sonic imperfections night. You know, for the first 12 minutes, we played a piece called Rock Piece, where all of the musicians just tap rocks together. And th- I mean, there are instructions about how you do it. You're trying to tap a rhythm and to, and to, fi- to f- actually not to fit in with anybody else. But the look on their face of pure joy oh, as we did it was, nice. was, was, <laughs> was it, I mean, it just it was so wonderful. This was a weird night. We were firing off cap guns and playing <laughs> toy pianos and shouting and Pauline was a composer who was so open to sound and to what came at her and what you could create. And I'm, I'm just sorry that we never got to make those pieces with her, I have to say. Because we love, I mean, I just, I love performing them. I also, I mean, I, I mentioned I was a singer and a very bad pianist, but I don't perform. But her music, invite I, I can perform in her music. And for me, that's, that's special. That's something I really love.
0: So as you mentioned before, there's many different things that you do: mm. um, recording engineer, yeah. composer, uh, conducting, teaching. Mm-hmm. So here in the UK and also in Germany. Yeah, that's right. And you became a dad to Ezra, as
3: exactly. you mentioned. Yeah.
0: How do you manage a work-life balance?
3: Well, as you could ask my wife whether I do manage a work-life balance, and <laughs> I mean you could ask you could ask me the same thing really. Um, you learn as you go. I would say I'm blessed to have a lot of capacity. You know, I, I haven't worked at that. I just, when, I, when I was at Northwestern, I slept four hours a night. That's just what I needed. Wow. I was just, you know, that's, that's nice. That gives you a couple extra hours in the day. And I love to work. I love to be planning things and writing and recording and editing, you know, all of these things. I take an energy from the fact that I'm doing different things all the time because I don't ever get tired of them. You talk about, like, writer's block with composition. I don't really run into that because I don't have enough time to write all of the things I want to write. Yeah. So there's o- I'm always having to stop before I'm finished. And so there's always something there when yeah. I come back.
0: We were talking a bit before about variety yeah. and how you don't just do one thing, but it inspires you to do other things as well.
3: Oh yeah, and that's, and that's exactly, I mean like this, you know, like I was talking about Schubert and you do this recording of Schubert and of course this informs your composition and mm. of course it informs your conducting and it informs your teaching because you have all of these things connecting to one another in a way that's real, for me, has a real synergy yeah. and, and gives me energy. So all of these things give me energy to keep making as much as I'm making. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of, uh, I'm really disciplined about my time and very careful with where I spend it. And I'm highly organized. I wasn't always, actually. I had to learn because you have to be. If you're going to run an ensemble, if you're going to conduct, you, you know, if you're going to be a recording engineer, you have to be highly detailed, highly organized. And you just learn those things. It's a muscle, you know, you You, you don't have to do everything. You do the things that uh, you find meaningful. And I I think that's part of it. I think if you're a composer, a a lot of composers that I talk to and that I start to hear from, they think they have to start an ensemble. It's like, I have to have an ensemble if I'm gonna be a composer. I have to conduct if I'm gonna be, because uh, it's just what what composers do. Now, it's difficult because as a composer, you don't make money as a composer. Ah, okay well heads up (laughs) heads up friends Uh, you know you shouldn't count on uh, just sitting in your studio and writing music you have to find the things that allow you to make your work but if you start an ensemble because you think you have to it's very unlikely to work it's too much work it's too much energy it's too much like pouring yourself out
0: it's kind of the wrong intention isn't it everyone's path is completely different you've just got to find
3: your own way for me i've arrived at this point just because i've been open to things i've caught a number of really fortuitous i keep i keep saying that word fortuitous um they seem that way in the past but i've just i've, I've really it's the people but i was just like oh record. yeah why not yeah that sounds that sounds great Gonna do it
0: yeah. yeah and i suppose it seems fortuitous because you're not always setting out for these things yeah and then it just feels like you've kind of fallen into this but you're just really making the best out of the situation
3: yeah I'm just working hard <laughs> talking to musicians and n- normally this isn't a conversation where a musician is actually saying I want to uh, I want to go do something else but what would I do and if I didn't do music what would I do I would uh, I don't have any other skills for, for is like it's like a really common feeling among musicians mm-hmm. and it's just crazy because you think no 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 if you're a good musician you have discipline you have the ability to work in teams you have all sorts of skills which are not just transferable but like rare it's so Mm -hmm. rare to have the discipline of being someone who can practice something carefully day after day and work towards a goal for months most people can't do that yeah you do have to work hard yeah everyone is working really hard i think that that can be it's easy to especially in social media it just looks like my goodness, this is just so effortless for all of these people I see. They just—they always have things, or they're always doing this, or they're always—but people are working hard.
0: Oh, you always see the nice things yeah. on social media, don't you? you mm-hmm. It's the swan's legs paddling yeah. under, under the
3: water furiously, yeah. frantically going. No, no, I'm cool. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm great. I—I I do all of these things perfectly and without any exertion at all. <laughs> mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I wish. Yeah,
0: that sort of leads me to final question, okay. which you kind of mentioned earlier. But if you weren't a musician, oh, okay, what yeah. would you be?
3: I really love chess. I'd love to have been a chess grandmaster. Really, I and mean, that would be <laughs> that would be a very different life. But um, I, I could see myself, depending on how things go over the next five, ten years, perhaps getting more into. Uh, administration and organization of an ensemble. I could see myself one day wanting to be the president of an orchestra or, um, you know, if Riot Ensemble can become big enough, then that's a, that's obviously a job I want to be the chief executive and the artistic yeah. director. If I had to go really further, I would say I studied poetry for a while yeah. and I would have I would have liked to have been a writer. I'm not sure I was any good at it, but I would have liked to have done that.
0: But say you pursued that the same way that you pursued your composing. Mm. Yeah, it's possible, yeah. Then who knows? You could be Aaron Holloway Nahum, the poet. The poet. The
3: or the filmmaker. Poet. I think we live in a very visual society. Yeah. I would love to be really good at that, to be able to tell stories. Yeah. Story- storytelling is important to me, so.
0: Something very creative still.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... Um, I don't really have the skills to comb an excel spreadsheet for mistakes (laughs) you know but i know people who who do it passionately and do it really well and it's it's wonderful to me because i i really i don't have that skill
0: we need those people though and we need to work with those people absolutely yeah because we all bring something new to the table that's right don't we
3: Mm
0: -hmm. great
3: thank you very much thank you very much i love talking about these things so great thanks for having me
1: Thank you to Aaron for such an interesting conversation. Now on to the weird gig of the week. This week's weird gig comes in from trumpeter, Etty Wake. Etty says, while studying at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, there was a week when collaborative projects between departments were encouraged. And I was approached by two students from the CPP department, which stands for contemporary performance practice. Their idea was to get a group of female brass players to play Swan Lake in a swimming pool, basically being the female swans, and for everything else to be the same as for a normal concert. So we were in our normal concert blacks with normal music stands, and the audience would be seated normally around the pool. Some of the logistics were interesting to figure out, though, like how to build an underwater platform for the tuba player to sit on so that her tuba didn't get too wet. The strangest thing about the actual performance for me was that because we were performing on a Saturday evening, The pool had been open all day for swimming and had therefore been heated all day, so the temperature in there was about 40 degrees. This meant that as I was playing, I started to get a really dry mouth and it just felt so ironic to be really thirsty yet completely surrounded by water. Water,
0: water everywhere. Not a drop to drink. Thank
1: you very much, Etty, for your strange gig. That sounds like Bikram brass playing, doesn't it? <laughs> In the heat. And I think it's probably the only instruments that can actually go anywhere near a swimming pool. Surely brass it's
0: instruments. not good for a tuba to get wet,
1: though, is it? Well, or any it instrument. depends. I mean, I give my trumpets a bath a lot really? of Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My lovely image. <laughs> yeah. My babies, yeah. Oh, a little flannel. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> time yeah, for your bath. Oh
2: that's Actually so I, I, I need to get my half a wash. How do you give my half a wash? Well I need to get some soapy water because it, my my jeans make a mark on it. Oh
1: my jeans make a mark on my cello.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah. On the
0: side from my knees. Yeah.
1: I mean it depends how much chlorine is in the water. That probably isn't so good for oh. for the brass. I don't know, but mm. It's quite, there are some really contemporary pieces of music which require you to use water and put your bell of the trumpet or whatever into some water. Oh, and the sound yeah. effect's quite cool, but we're not those type of instruments that if it starts raining on an outdoor gig, we, we run away, like you guys. Like us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's
0: really funny.
2: I have had a composer ask for um, the harp to be wiped with a wet finger.
0: <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs>
2: and actually, I mean, I, I thought it was really funny at the time and a bit gross, but I think it's some kind of string effects that can be made from doing it. Oh. And then, actually I accidentally found that um, a wet cloth being wiped from the strings. It makes a really cool squeaky sound. That Aww. was after I had a, a student with a wart play. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> so you wiped your heart. Exactly. And, and that's then you wiped like, cool the yeah. You should tell Aaron, he'd be really interested in that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now for some upcoming concerts. Something that I would really like to go to is a new opera production by the London Sinfonietta. It's called Cave, and it's a collaboration between the composer Tansy Davies and the writer Nick Drake, and it stars tenor Mark Padmore, mezzo-soprano Eleanor Michener, and it's directed by Lucy Bailey, conducted by Geoffrey Patterson. It's being shown in the recently opened space in Surrey Keys area called Printworks. It's on between Wednesday the 20th, so when this podcast is released, and Saturday the 23rd of June. I found out about this concert on Instagram. If I'm unsure of what's going on, I often go on Facebook and just check, like click on events,
1: and then I can Mm. see-
2: You can uh, see what's going on around you. See what's going on around me.
1: What your friends are going to.
2: Yes, um, because I've got lots of musician friends, so that normally helps. And another thing, sometimes if I have a free day, I'll just search that date and put concerts in to Google, and then that comes up with
1: on a slightly less highbrow note next week I am going to see Legally Blonde the musical at the new Wimbledon theatre and I'm very excited because I've actually seen the show twice already when it was on the West End so I know all the words the show is in Wimbledon until Saturday 23rd of June and then it goes to Manchester until the 30th of June so I really recommend trying to catch that if you can it is a brilliant show, really funny and I think you'll have a great night As mentioned
0: in my interview with Aaron before, the Riot Ensemble have released a CD called Chest of Toys, and I'll put a link in the show description where you can get that. They currently have a Kickstarter for their next CD, so I will also put a link so that you can support this wonderful ensemble called Some New Music.
2: One more thing I wanted to mention. Following on from last episode when we were talking about the importance of exercise for musicians... I thought I'd mention a Guinness World Record attempt that's happening throughout July. It's called the I Move London Relay, and they are attempting the world's longest baton race around London. So it's 4,000 miles, and you can sign up to complete either a 5k or a 10k loop around central London, starting at London Bridge, and then you go around to... Um, millennium bridge or westminster bridge and i'll put a link to that so it's uh, londonrelay.co.uk and i will be doing one of those loops so feel free to message me
0: and you can join me on my loop special thanks to chris rowe who composed our awesome jingle we hope you enjoyed this episode remember to like and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and subscribe on apple podcasts and your favorite podcast apps if you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a couple friends and spread the word. And if you really liked it, leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. Bye. Bye.